going to continue in our I Am studies that we've been doing over the past several weeks, and we actually come to the eighth and final I Am passage that John records for us in his gospel account. So let me invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. John is the only gospel account that gives us the I Am passages. Uh, they, we don't find them in the synoptic gospel. Synoptic meaning same of uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John is, uh, while telling the same story uh, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke, from his perspective, he doesn't give us parables. He gives us the I Am passages. And so tonight, or today we look at the last one. This is probably a passage, friends, that I'm looking around uh, trying to read my congregation instead of an audience. This is probably a passage that you have read or heard read many, many times. And you've probably read this passage or heard this passage from the perspective of a comparison. That those are in the vine who are, who are in the vine and bearing much fruit, but those who are not in the vine and not bearing fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire and will be burned. While that certainly would preach, and I have preached that, that context before, I want to look at this passage a little bit differently today, and I'll explain that to you in just a moment. But I wanted you to be aware of that, that that contrast between those that are in the vine and those that are not in the vine certainly is uh, an interpretation that we could hold to. But I want to dig a little bit deeper today, and I want us to look at it through the lenses of grace uh, solely grace that God is speaking, Christ is speaking to us, those who are in Christ, who are to be bearing much fruit. So let's then now give our full attention to the reading and the preaching of God's word. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of God. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Friends, this is what we know about the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord fails never, abides forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you speak to us through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And you seal through the work of your 
capital S spirit to our soul, our small s spirit, you seal that what we are hearing, what we are reading, what we are understanding by the work of that spirit is absolute truth, true truth. So open our eyes to behold beautiful things from this portion of your holy law we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, as I told you just a bit ago, Jennifer and I recently uh, semi-retired to the hill country. That's been our dream all along. After 10 years as a firefighter paramedic in the North Dallas area and then almost 30 years in pastoral ministry, uh, COVID changed just about everything. So I took a, a little bit of an early retirement. We moved into the hill country. We enjoy the hill country very much. But I am a very hyper individual, as you'll see. I'm not going to be able to stand still up here. I, I, I'm high energy. I, I move a lot. And so I knew that in a, in a retirement, I could not sit still. I had to do something. So I have recently secured a part-time position uh, with a tour company through the wine country, and I am the tour guide and the tour driver. And I had a, a trip this last week with several ladies who were in my, my coach, and we got to the first winery, and they have their glass of wine, and they're looking all around outside the windows and step outside into the, into the outside area, and one of the women finally says, where are the vines and where are the grapes? You can't have a winery without vines and grapes. They wanted to know that what was in their particular glass that they were drinking at that moment actually had come from right there, from those vines and those grapes that were crushed into this juice that they were drinking. But there were no vines and there were no grapes because this particular winery gets all of their grapes from the High Plains AVA, which is out towards Lubbock. But that statement, can, you can't really have a winery without vines and grapes, was a profound statement. I was reading this particular passage. I was preparing this particular sermon, and I'm thinking, that's exactly what Jesus says right here in John chapter 15. I am the vine, and you're the, bra the branches. You're, you're bearing much fruit when you abide in me. And we can't have the fruit if we don't have the vine. And if we don't have the vine, then we don't have the fruit. Sometimes in our life, though, however, friends, we, uh, we want to live apart from the vine, thinking that we are producing our fruit. Or we want to define what it means to abide in the vine, to live in the vine. And we want to define in our own terms, in our own words, what it means to be fruitful. But what Jesus is doing in this particular passage, catch this, friends, you got to get this. What Jesus is doing in this passage is defining for us what it means to be a true disciple. As a matter of fact, he says, you're going to glorify the Father when you do these things that I am telling you, and you are going to prove that you are a true disciple. Now, sometimes we hear that word, prove, and we think to ourselves, I have to prove, I have to do this on my own. I have to stop doing this, and I have to start doing that. And when I stop doing this and start doing that, then I'm going to prove to everyone around me, I'm going to prove to myself, and I'm going to prove to God that I am a true disciple. But that is not what Jesus is telling us, and that's why I want to take a little bit different approach to this particular passage today. Because here is what I believe that Jesus is doing. 
He is giving us a definition of what it means to prove ourselves to be disciples when we are actually living in the vine as those who are the branches producing fruit. I don't think Jesus is comparing those that are in the vine and those who are not in the vine. I think what Jesus is doing is focusing on people like you and me who are in the vine. But look what he says in verse 3. He says, you have already been washed with the word. You've already been cleansed. So there are three things I believe that Jesus does here, focusing solely on people like you and me who are really true disciples, proving that we are true disciples. And the first one is this. We prove to be the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ when we are living in union with Him. That's what He says in verses 1, 2, and 3. Now what I mean by that is union, that, that double reference where Christ now dwells within me and I now dwell within Christ. It's a double work of grace whereby Christ floods my soul and now I am part of Christ, the two of us living together. Paul uses this phrase in Christ, listen, 164 times in the 13 books that he penned in the New Testament. And that's what he means by in Christ. He's talking about our union. But friends, don't miss the first word of verse 3. Already, already this has happened to you. We prove, friends, listen, we prove that we are true disciples when we understand completely that this is a work that has already been done for us and in us. We have got to get off that performance treadmill whereby we think that we can make God love us more by doing better, not doing this and start doing that. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is this essence, this core, this foundation, this fundamental truth of you being a true disciple begins with the knowledge of knowing that we are in union with Christ. He is in us and we are in Him. Now let me give you what I think is the context. This may or may not be true, but I, it, it'll preach, so I'm going to preach it. And that is, is this. It fits with the context of where we are. Jesus has been in the temple. He has been teaching. He's moving towards the, the, the end of His earthly life. They've made their way from the temple to the upper room. And there in the upper room, Jesus has just washed the feet of his disciples. And now they are about to leave. If you look at the end of verse four, or chapter 14, he says, Rise and let us go from here. So that's how chapter 14 ends before our text this morning. And so perhaps they're leaving the upper room and they're walking past the temple. They're about to cross the Kidron Valley and they're going to make their way up the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will begin to pray. So as they're leaving the upper room and they're passing by the temple again, over the entrance of the, the most holy place, over the entrance of the temple, there was, as Josephus, a, a first century historian, describes for us in great detail, a solid gold, huge vine, and off the vine were branches, and off the branches were big pieces of grapes, big pieces of fruit. Josephus says that one of those pieces of fruit, one of those grapes was as tall as a man. 
You look at somebody like me, and I must have been a petite Syrah grape. I must have been the little one because I'm not uh, uh, the average height. But can you, you, can f- you can figure out by, by that understanding how, how big, how massive this must have been. Now, while Jesus was in the temple, he had said, knock this temple down, and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. You remember that passage? And they all went ballistic. And Jesus said, I'm not talking about that temple. I'm talking about this temple. I am the true temple, he says. Now they're walking past this big gold vine, and Jesus says, you see that? I am the true vine. Now they would have understand that looking at that and why it was actually over the entrance to the most holy place was because of passages in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in Hosea, in the book of Psalms, and several other places in the Old Testament. Under the Old Covenant, Israel, ethnic, ethnic Israel was known as the vine of Yahweh. But always as you read that, where they're identified as the vine of Yahweh, it's in the context of the negative because they cannot keep the commands of God. They break the laws of God. And in their disobedience, they're identified as the vine who cannot continue to walk in in an upright manner, in a steadfast manner with Yahweh. That's why the major prophets, the minor prophets come to say, repent, return, come back, because they continue to sin over and over again. So they're looking up perhaps at this vine and they're saying, we are the vine. We're the vine of Yahweh. That's what we understand in the old covenant. But Jesus says, no, no. You see that? I. I am the true vine, he says. But what are we going to do with verse 2 then? If this is not a comparison, if Jesus is not saying, "Let let me give you a picture of those that are in me and those that are not in me, what do we do with verse 2? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Well, notice what he says. He says, every branch that's in me. Now, can one actually be in Christ and not be in Christ. This is why I, I think that Jesus is actually not referring to the comparison of those that are not in Christ. He's talking to people like you and me, his disciples, those that are in Christ. And what he says is, those that are in me that do not bear fruit, he, iros is the Greek word there, and takes away or removes is, is a translation that you could use, but it is the fourth meaning of the word, the Greek word iros. The first meaning of the, that word is to lift up, physically to lift up, and figuratively lift up. I lift mine eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? So perhaps we read it this way then. Every branch in me, those that are in union with Christ, that does not bear fruit, he will lift up. See, we're grapes, friend. We're fruits of the vine. We're not melons. We don't grow on the ground. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you're on the ground, instead of casting us away, he comes along and he lifts us up. 
In this relationship that he has with us, those that are in union with him, he loves us too much to allow us to continue in our sinfulness. It's Numbers 32, 23. For surely your sin will find you out. And he lifts us up so that we might produce fruit. And then in our producing of fruit, as he goes on to say in the second half of verse 2, not only does he lift us up to produce fruit, but now he even snips away and prunes us that we may bear even more fruit. This was our words of assurance of pardon today, that even in times of suffering, we can rejoice in the hope that is ours. Even in times of pruning, we can rejoice. If we trust in a sovereign God, friends, listen, if we believe that God is completely sovereign over all things, why would we try to define the very life that we want to live absent of the things that we don't want and present of the things that we do want? We can't waste one stroke of God's providence even in times of pruning that the Lord is doing it that we might produce even more fruit as we abide in Him. Jennifer and I just recently moved into our home and then we had a landscaper come in and put in all those beautiful one-gallon plants (laughs) that look so silly up against this new house. Well, you know how those lasted a couple of weeks ago in the polar vortex that hit us? Nine degrees in the hill country of Texas? Everything is brown. I got out this past week with my pruning shears and I began to cut away. And you know what I found? As I'm cutting away all of that on the outside, I've already got green growth coming up out of the center. All of my plants are really still alive, but I'm pruning them, I'm cutting them back to aid in their growth. And friends, that's exactly, what, that's exactly what Jesus is telling people like you and me. At the very core of what it means to be a disciple of the living God, proving ourselves to be a disciple, is that we are living in union with Him. He is in us. We are in Him. He is lifting us up. And lifting us up, He is pruning us away that we might be the very fruit of the vine that He has declared. We are becoming, listen, We are becoming what we already are. We are becoming what we already are. He has made us new creatures in Christ, and so the life that we live, we're becoming what we already are. It's called sanctification. That means growing in holiness. But don't look at this like here's the day of conversion, and here's the day of glory, and your life looks like this, a straight line all the way up. No, It looks like a sawtooth. It looks like this. But the overall progression is an upward progression with peaks and valleys as God prunes us, continues over and over again to lift us up that we might bear more fruit. The second thing that Jesus tells us here by way of proving ourselves to be disciples is that we are true disciples when we abide in the true vine. That's what he says in verses 4 through 10. Ten times in seven verses, John writes the word abide. Synonymous words would be remain. Some translations read that way. To remain in Him. To abide in Him. To walk in Him. To dwell in Him. To live in Him. Where do you abide? Where do you abide? Where do you live? 
That's the, the essence of the word that we're capturing there. Where do we live? We are to live in Christ. And look what he says in verse 4. Abide in me and I abide in you. Abide in me and I in you. Is that a command or is that a promise? It's both. It's both. The hearers of Jesus' words on that particular day, looking at that golden vine, would have known the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. They would have known the disobedience of ethnic Israel, their continued disobedience, the need for all of these sacrifices that they had to do to renew the covenant with, with Yahweh. And now Jesus is saying, listen... We didn't abandon the Father. I didn't abandon them in the desert. I brought them into the promised land, and I have never abandoned you. Lo, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. That's what Jesus will remind them before his ascension at the end of Matthew's gospel account. He has never left us, never forsaken us, and so he is saying, as you abide in me, of course I'm going to abide in you. You are my chosen ones. You are the fruit of the vine. I am the true vine. And as you're living in me, proving that you're living in me, of course I am never going to abandon you. Of course I am going to abide in you. He promises to continue that union. He promises to continue to dwell within us as we dwell in him. So it is a command and a promise. His promise that he'll be faithful to his covenant. And then he goes on to say, I was faithful to the commandments of my father and so you too must be faithful to my commands it is a commandment as well that we abide in him this is our these are our choices this is our will whereby we begin to hate our sin for what it is instead of trying to define what it means to live in the vine by my definition now I use his definition as Jesus is giving us And as he's cutting away everything, I don't try to say, well, yeah, he can have this one, but I'm going to hold on to that one. He can have this one, but I'm going to hold on to that one over there. So we make willful decisions, choices, that we are going to abide in the vine, knowing that we are becoming what we already are because of his faithfulness, because of his Uh, abiding in us, we will continue to abide in him. But, all right, then you must say, well, what do we do then if you're not going to compare? If this isn't a comparison, but it's all a focus on strictly those who are abiding in Christ, who are in Christ, what do we do with verse 6? Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, The branches are gathered and they're thrown into the fire to be burned. That certainly sounds like a comparison, doesn't it? And it could be. It certainly could be. But let me, let me give you three things here, three, three ways of interpreting that particular verse. The first one would be this, that there is no security. There is no eternal security in uh, the believer, that we can fall from grace. Once saved, not saved. We could be in the vine today, and we could be out of the vine tomorrow. Anytime, as Reformed thinkers, anytime, as our confession says, anytime we get to a passage in Scripture where we're left going, what? What does that mean? What does that say? We always let Scripture speak for Scripture. We go to other places in Scripture to define that. 
And we can go to scores of other scriptures to know that that kind of understanding, that there is no eternal security, is not a biblical doctrine. He who began a good work in you will see that work to the day of completion. Paul says, what can separate us from the love of God? Can tribulation or peril or sword? No, I am convinced in all of these things, all of these things, neither height nor depth nor any other creature can what? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ uh, in, God, in Christ Jesus. So those are just two. You could look at many. So we got to take that one off the table, right? That one is not an interpretation that we're going to cling to. The second would be this. Well, we could look like we're in the vine, but we're not really in the vine. Now, that is actually a biblical, uh, uh, a biblical doctrine. We could go to places. These guys that were just looking at this big gold vine on the, on the wall had just left the upper room where Judas has slipped out because he was told to go do what he quickly had to do, right? He was among them and not really with them. Paul even talked about Gaius. He loved the things of the world more than he loved the gospel. Or John in his epistle, the same author in his epistle said, they proved they were not with us because they left us. So that is a true statement. That is a biblical doctrine that we can say that there are some who look like they are producing fruit by being connected to the vine, but they're really not. And they will fall away. But is that what Jesus is saying here? If so, then it's out of the blue, clearly out of the blue, and to me it doesn't fit the context. But what fits the context is the third interpretation that we could have, and this is what I believe Jesus is saying. His focus has been on the bearing of fruit, right? Abiding in Him to bear more fruit. The pruning so that we would bear more fruit. And so what Jesus is talking about in verse 6 then is not an individual but our fruit. So any fruit that we think is in us, anything that we're claiming to be fruit that is not bearing true fruit, then God promises, Christ says, I'll come along and I'll cut that off and I'll get rid of that. That's why we don't define what it means to prove ourselves to be disciples of the living God. But the definition comes from Him because many times in our life we try to make those definitions, don't we? Well, I know this is, is uh, uh, the producing of grapefruit. When Jesus may say, no, that's not what I'm talking about. And in His affection for us, lifting us up, He'll cut that right off so that we then can bear true fruit. I think the focus there is fruit, not the individual. And so Jesus is saying, I love you enough that as you abide in me, as you're doing things that are not in fitting with the commands of God, that are not in fitting with proving yourself to be a disciple, I in great affection am going to cut those things off and I'm going to get rid of them. Just like all of my stuff I gathered from my, my plants the other day. I mean, I didn't put that on my firewood stack. They're, they're little bitty pieces of, of junk. It's not like I'm going to put it in my fireplace and, and be warmed by that on some winter day. It's trash. And so I stuck it into my trash can and I threw it away. And that's what Jesus is saying. In my affection for you as the true vine and you're the branch, I will take away what does not produce good fruit. And I'll get rid of it. Another tour that I had this past week, they, they all seemed to be a, a lot of ladies. This was another group with, with several women as well. 
And uh, when, when they say, how long have you been doing this? Have you been doing this for a long time? And I say, oh, no, I, I, I recently retired, and now I, I'm, I'm, I'm driving this van, and I'm doing this. Oh, what, did you ret- what were you doing that you retired? I, I hate that question, because now i got to tell them. i got to say, well, I was a Presbyterian pastor for 27 years. Two things happen. Shun activated, where they don't want to talk to me anymore again because they're on a wine tour and they're, you know, they think, oh my gosh, she's going to be judging me. Or they say, oh, well, we go to church and this and this. That happened this last week. So she says, oh, you were a pastor. How wonderful. Well, for Lent, I have given up for Lent. I have given up cussing and social media. That's what I've given up for Lent. And she went on to explain these, how her friends saw a difference in her and her emails. And she's not on social media anymore. And they think she's, you know, fallen off the end of the earth. But the implication there was, as soon as this Lent thing is over, I can get back to doing what I want to do. And I cannot wait. That is the opposite of what Jesus is telling us right here. He's not saying, I'm just going to fold it back for a short period of time and then bring... He says, I love you too much. I will cut that off and I will throw it into the fire for the sake of your soul. And for the sake, look at verse 8, that by this my Father is glorified. You see, verse 7, friends, cannot be that name it and claim it. When we take something out of context, we grab a verse and it says, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do for you. They pull that out and they they want that to mean that. I want a pink Cadillac and so I'm going to pull that out and if I just say that I want it, then I'm going to get it. But they miss the whole fact that if you abide in me and already the word has cleansed you, And already you are giving up your will and doing what God has commanded. But now he says, if you're living in this union with me, and as I'm pruning you, as I'm cutting things away, as as I am proving through you that you are a true disciple, then he says, by this, my Father is glorified and you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Union with Christ and abiding in Christ, thereby, thereby, or therefore, God himself is glorified in the lives that we live. Which brings us then to the last. A true disciple proves to be a true disciple by, uh, by um, the, uh, the union with Christ and then the, the abiding in Christ, but then the joy that is ours in Christ. Look at the last verse, verse 11. Uh, these things I have spoken to you that your joy may be uh, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We read that verse, friends, and we think this uh, the the first part of this verse. I've spoken these things that that my joy may be in you. We read that as something that we think that is in internal inside of us. I've, I've, I've written these things to you that that my joy may be in you. But I don't think that's what that means. I think the second half of that verse, that your joy may be full, that's what he means by the joy of the Lord is our strength dwelling within us. The beginning of this passage, this this should blow your mind, but look at it. The beginning of this passage, I think Jesus is saying, you, you are the context, you are the focus of my joy. And he is saying, I have written these things to you, I have told you these things, that my joy may be in you, 
that my joy may be found in you as you are living in union with Christ, as you are abiding in Christ, Christ actually is joyful in the lives that we live. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God the Father today in our union with him, if I am in him and he is in me, then in part I am already at the right hand of God the Father by my union with Christ. He is looking down, lifting me up, pruning away, cutting away and throwing away those things that are not beneficial for my growth in grace. And he is delighted. He's joyful. He's looking at me and it floods his soul. It floods him that he is filled with joy in disciples, his fruit, those for whom he has died and secured that eternal place in heaven. That's what I think Jesus is saying there. I have said these things to you that that uh, my joy may be in you, that my joy may be found in your very life. And then the result of that, the second thing is, and that our joy may be full. And I think this is the same thing that Jesus told in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. The streams of living water are going to boil up or burst up within you. That, that inward er eruption of the gospel of grace at work, whereby we are full to the max, it just overflows in the joy that is ours in the Lord. Even in times of suffering, and I don't want to discount the fact that suffering is painful, pruning is painful, but even in such times, not one stroke of God's sovereignty is wasted but we rejoice in the very fact that even this is that I might bring glory to God the Father Almighty. What a beautiful passage, huh? What a beautiful gospel. I got a tour tomorrow. I got some more tours this next weekend. And I'm going to have the privilege. I sat yesterday in my van and I looked out at the vineyard at William Chris. And the, the vines are about this big around. And you can see the vines come up and then off the vine they've pruned. Got little bitty, little bitty branches that are coming off. And I know over the course of the next few weeks and the next few months, those little pruned things are going to become long branches that are green, that have green leaves, and that will produce green fruit that will turn red, that will be hanging down, and they'll be out there. The vine dresser will be trimming them to get the right amount of sun and shade. And I'm going to see a visual playing out of this passage over the course of the next few months before harvest in August. And I wonder about our lives, friend. Is that what others are going to see in us? Are they going to see the visual representation that we are united to that vine, the true vine, and from that vine we are being lifted up, we are being pruned, cut away, and we're bringing honor and glory to our Father by producing more and more fruit, becoming what we already are. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful word that you have given to us. Seal it to our minds today, please. We pray that as we leave this place, that we would cast away any thought of a performance treadmill that I can just do better, I can get out there and try harder, but let us rest and find our full joy and the fact that you are a sovereign God who has entered into a covenant with his chosen people and you will hold us secure, safe to the very end as you prune us, as you cut away things, 
Lord, help us to produce that fruit that you alone might receive all honor, laud, and glory we ask in Jesus' name.